Welcome to the Top Gun Minute. It's your five-day-a-week, Monday through Friday podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and look for bogeys in the skies in the 1986 classic Top Gun, one minute at a time. I'm your pilot, Brian Boucher, call sign Kaboom. And I'm your Rio, Roger Cooter-Wistar. And with us today, our wingman from the Watchman Minute, Travis Bow, call sign Wing Sauce. Hello there. How's it going, Travis? Oh, pretty well. How are you guys doing? Brian, your intro this for this minute was on point. That was some excellent pun action. This is our second week of recording, and it's just getting better and better. Well, it is a new week, so get ready for some high-flying action as we rejoin Cougar, Merlin, Maverick, and Goose scoping out a blip on a radar. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. You know, I, I was saying on Roadhouse Minute, it's nice when sometimes – it's nice when the week – kind of takes a chunk of the movie and just sort of gives it to you like that. So, you know, this week we're basically going to get the entire engagement um, with these enemy MIGs. And I, I've, I've got so many things that I'm excited to talk about. Yeah, me too. It is a good isolated action week. Yeah. Cause it's a huge tone shift at the end of the week that will set you up for, I'm sure, I'm sure next week's minutes are probably a, if I can recall, it's probably like, you know, a good good five minute chunk next week that probably feels contained as well so well the minute we're talking about is minute six today minute six starts with cougar saying roger roger what merlin you got him and it ends with cougar breaking high and right uh so i want to give a shout out in my minute in this minute to my man tim robbins this is our introduction to the character of merlin uh and i have down in my notes here it's like a poor guy like all he, all Merlin seems to get to do is to fly as Rio for pilots that get messed up in the head. Like first he gets Cougar, and then it's like, sorry Merlin, you know, as we're gonna see, things aren't gonna go so well for Cougar. But don't worry, you're gonna come back and you're gonna get to fly as Maverick's Rio after he's already messed up in the head. Like, can't this guy just get a well-adjusted pilot? <laughs> um, speaking of Tim Robbins, like, it feels like a weird role for him, like isn't he kind of established or at least on his way up in by night by 86? Like this feels I, like a, I don't know, like a, a, uh, an entry level kind of role. Well, I think like most of the other people that are credited in this movie, um, this is an entry level movie for him. Um, hmm. You know, so the things that you, like when you think about Tim Robbins, you know, like his breakout role is obviously Bull Durham. Yeah. That's not going to come for another two years. Oh, I thought that I thought it was uh, an early '80s movie. No, oh, no, okay. it's a it's a late '80s movie. Okay, and I'm gonna go out on a limb, and I don't feel good about myself saying this, but the most known movie he has been in, and it came out the same year as this movie, is probably Howard the Duck. Okay, and in my research, he only did that movie just for a paycheck, but he also says if we had the right people, a remake could be a good thing. He blames the duck. God, God help us. <laughs> I love Howard the Duck. I mean, I would say, and to be fair, I love Tim Robbins. He doesn't really make that much of an impression. Of no, no, but he does his job. Yeah. Be interested to, I wonder if Tim Robbins read for Goose. You know, I could almost see him 
in in the goose role in this movie. I, yeah. I like Anthony Edwards, you know, so I like him as Goose, but I I wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, at least went went for that role as well. That's a good question. I don't, you know, because I'm just the Rio on this pod, I haven't done the kind of deep dive research that Kaboom has, but <laughs> so I don't really know like who maybe got cast for what. Um, but yeah, you could see him, you could see him as Goose. Um, do you think he could be Slider? No. No, yeah. I think Iceman needs- and Slider are they're so alpha, you know, they're so, you know, chiseled and like I no, I can't see Merlin, uh, you know, backing up Iceman. Yeah, and he's also 6'5", so he would just tower over Val Kilmer. <laughs> well, yeah. okay, but but Brian, like, what movie are we talking about here? Yeah, who yeah. is who is the lead actor in this movie? And right. how yeah. many boxes oh, oh, did he oh, have to stand on? Yeah. We're going to talk about his uh, Let, short stature. Let's just say uh, that there was plenty of height adjustment yeah. to be had in this movie, which we will yeah. get to in later minutes, oh, I'm yeah. sure. Oh, definitely. I have quite a bit to say about that. Maybe one of the reasons why Tom Cruise was so excited about this movie was he's gonna he was going to be filmed mostly seated from the waist up. Cougar says, you know, Merlin, you got him? And Merlin gets... Has radar contact. Maverick is going to get a visual ID, and Goose is going to hook him and fry him. So Maverick. one of the things, one of the things I notice in this, in these aerial dogfight scenes that I don't think I realized until I started doing this podcast minute by minute, it seems like these pilots spend a lot of time like looking over their shoulder and attempting to like with their eyes navigate. Like, do we really think that's the way that fighter pilots navigate? I kind of feel like things are going way too fast. Like this is 900 knots closure. Like, do you really generally get a visual confirmation of most things when you're flying as a F-14 pilot? Well, not in real life. Okay. All right. So, all right. So I'm not crazy. This isn't something that seems a little unrealistic. No, no, not at all. I I have a question for both of you. Who is the lead jet? It's got to be Cougar. Yeah. I mean, we're going to find out in a later minute, Cougar was number one. So I'm assuming that he gets to take lead. But here at the beginning... Maverick seems to take charge. Well, it's almost yeah. like he only cares about himself and his plane, Brian. You, you think you think so? Never would have thought of it. Is this the minute where he is this is this the minute where he's gonna break high and right to see like at the very end, yeah. Okay, yeah. so yeah, very end. I not for nothing, but like right away before we even learn that this is important, like Maverick is basically leaving his wingman. Like, mm. good job, Maverick. He realized that uh Goose is the comedian. And yeah, I, I enjoy, I think this minute does a really good job of character development for Goose. I think we do, an, this minute yeah. does a nice job of sort of establishing his laid back attitude. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said earlier, Merlin just does his job. Yeah. Well, I mean, not for nothing, but based on what we're going to learn over the next couple of weeks, maybe it's not the most fun filled adventure flying with Cougar. <laughs> <laughs> Cougar, <laughs> Cougar seems like someone who's maybe wound just a little too tight. Like yeah. in order to get to number one, he just really had to do everything by the book. But yeah, I mean, Maverick and, and Goose, you know, like you said, like you'll you'll see in, in upcoming minutes that these guys like to have fun, you know, when they're in these uh, million dollar planes. And whereas Cougar and, and Merlin, you know, they're they're down to business. You know, that's there's a reason that they're number one, which I would hope would be the way that my fighter pilots choose <laughs> to act. 
right? I, I guess I've sort of deputized myself as the person to just kind of like try to understand what all the lingo is in mm. this movie, having right. no military experience. Mm-hmm. I am proud to say that it seems like this minute confirms my analysis from the last minute. Because yes. um, we have bogeys that are heading to 70, which even I know means they're heading due west. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the last minute, the bogey was reported as being uh, the vector was 090. So uh, I, at least I understand it seems to me like this is the intercept course that we have. Um, right. I also noticed another term. Did you all notice in this that the, the radio man uh, says, take angels 10? Yes. Yeah. I, I think I know what that means. According to the interwebs, this means that he thinks that they should intercept them at 10,000 feet. Yes. Mm, okay. Yeah, that seems very low. Which, A, that seems low, and B, we're going to find out in a couple minutes, they're not even close to that altitude. Right, yeah. Why, why do they choose to intercept them at an altitude that we're going to learn later is so low, it's the hard deck? Why do we think they're doing that? Maybe so they're below the clouds and they can get a good, clear visual on the incoming bogeys. Wouldn't you prefer if you were Stinger that they engage them above the clouds so that they can't see, you know, the aircraft carrier? So maybe that's just the altitude of these bogeys. Do you think on the aircraft carrier, they can determine the altitude of the incoming aircraft? Oh, well, when we see that radar here later, I'm, I'm guessing you probably could, they probably can't. Oh, okay. So maybe they're just being vectored in as like, hey, these guys are flying real low, so you should probably intercept them at the same altitude. Yeah. Would they be flying low to avoid radar detection? I don't know. I don't know enough about radar and all, all this to to know what's what. That's a good question, Travis. We didn't talk last week. What do we think these what do we think these enemy makes are? What is I their ass- mission? I assume they're just scouting. You know, they're just yeah. doing what Maverick and, and Cougar are doing. You know, they probably have a aircraft carrier or a base, you know, somewhere in the region and they're doing the same thing they're just you know trying to make sure no one's coming their direction i don't so you think this is just two like two squadrons on patrol that just accidentally happened to i don't know i guess they could Uh, be searching for uh american uh vessels yeah i think these guys have i think these guys have a little bit more sinister intent um we are in the indian ocean so this is clearly not it's not super friendly waters for the United yeah. States. Let's just put it that way. Right. I have a feeling that these guys, they're certainly not going to attack, but maybe they're flying at 10,000 feet to either A, buzz the tower, for lack of a better <laughs> term, or B, I don't know, get close enough to like gather intel. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. they, they want to know where their enemies are located, you know, or potential mm-hmm. enemies, poten- potential threats. Um, mm-hmm. I, would, I would think that we do the same thing, you know. We scout, send send planes around, you know, kind of skirting the the edge of where they should be, maybe, you know, just to get a better look at what's around. And then Stinger wants to know if we're supposed to have any visitors today. That kind of gives you the sense that this is not an unusual that yeah. It's just sort of understood that we're gonna just kind of be sending out these probing picket lines to just kind of mm-hmm. like we want each each side is gonna let the other side know that they know where they are. But clearly that wasn't supposed to happen. So more evidence, I think, from my argument that maybe these guys have a little bit more on their mind than accidental. Roger, we didn't get into this last week, but it's going to come into play now. I want to know, what is a Rio? You know, I'm I'm so glad you asked me that question, uh, Brian, because up until, well, up until very recently, I didn't even understand that that was a thing. 
I've spent 25 years of my life watching this movie, just assuming that the term was rear, R-E-A-R. So I, because, you know, I just assume that when, you know, they say like, you'll get your Rio when you get there. Um, okay. That he, I assumed he was, I mean, because, you I know. I thought it was rear also, yeah. The guy, the guy rides in the back seat. Yeah. Why isn't he the rear? So I didn't realize that, but since you asked, and now mm -hmm. that I've educated myself, um, so people like Goose and Merlin are, I believe they are, is it radar intercept officers? Yep. Um, which, and when you find out what this job is, it sounds kind of boring. Like basically their job is to look at the instruments and to essentially feed information to the pilot so that the pilot can focus on flying the plane and blowing stuff up. Is that fair? Is that a decent synopsis of Goose's job? Yep, I'll allow it. Okay. <laughs> so that's my job, Brian. So for All the right. next 20 weeks, I'm just going to be gathering information and supplying it to you so that you can guide our podcast and blow stuff up. Awesome. I don't have to do so much research now. Sweet. Oh, shoot. Okay. Well, <laughs> you don't see it, but I wonder, does the Rio have a stick so that you pilot the plane in case there's an emergency? I don't, do you know the answer to that question? I do. Okay. <laughs> but I, I was wondering if you knew. I or, hope you, so. or, or would you like me to? I hope this? so. <laughs> uh, no. 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 Okay. <laughs> nope. You are screwed. So if something happens to the pilot, if the yeah, pilot if they suffers, lose their edge, maybe. Yeah. Or like if they lose their edge, or have a heart attack, or who knows what. Yeah. Or if they uh, lose consciousness because of uh, you know not having enough oxygen. Because they okay. never wear their oxygen masks, <laughs> like is, we talked about last week. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Huh. Well, it's funny though because you know that's in the old F-14s. Now, nowadays they have the F-18, the Super Hornet, and it does have a stick in the back, so the pilot can, or the Rio can uh, take control if they have to. That seems entirely appropriate, and yeah. it reminds it, me of of driver's ed. Yeah. Um, did you all have the good fortune of taking, uh, like driver's ed? I did at yeah. some point. Okay. So one of my most enduring memories of learning how to drive was the part where they take you out and give you lessons. And the, the reason why I remember this and why I'm bringing this up now is like, they have these special cars. Did you all notice that the driving instructor is sitting in the passenger seat has his own brake? Yes. Do you know who manufactures the external brake in a driver's instructor's car? I only know this because I looked at it one time. This is like such an unfortunate term. Uh, I, I looked down at like the floor panel where they have like the, the, the bracket where it's uh, attached and it literally said diomatic, like D-I-E-O-matic. Like <laughs> step on this pedal if you are afraid you are about to die. But that's not going to happen. That's, that's really sad. So uh, good luck, Goose. I hope that every, hope everything turns out well for you. <laughs> Yeah. And Merlin too, because uh, yeah, yeah, it's a good point. That's a good point, mm -hmm. Brian. I've got a question for you. So, sure. I feel like this minute also does some good character development for Maverick because he says he's going to go head to head with the Mig. Do you think that's a good idea? Uh, no, <laughs> not at all. Because uh, let's see, you're flying uh 900 knots. Oh, uh, and we we have confirmed that that was about a little over a thousand miles per hour going in a forward direction and you got a, two bogeys coming at you 
It's only one. It's only one bogey. Well, at this only, point. only uh, well, however many. Well, it doesn't really matter how many. Just you have a jet coming at you head on, going the same speed. Now, I remember doing all these uh, math story problems where hey, you're in a train in New York and you're going to, you know, Florida and you where you meet. At, you're you're going this fast and he's going this fast. And I never got those answers right ever. That's- if I had had a math teacher who had given me a word problem that said, Maverick is flying due east at approximately 900 nautical miles per hour. The enemy MiG is flying due west at approximately, no- I guarantee you I would have done a better job on that math problem. <laughs> I mean, these planes are big. We've, we've confirmed this. When they're coming at you, it's like a, a, a f- little fly is what it looks like in, when you're that far away coming at you at 1,000 miles an hour. Woo! Yeah, that's a little dangerous. But somebody we know is kind of dangerous. Yeah, but it's a big sky. There's plenty of room to maneuver. Right. <laughs> At that speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I looked up the, uh, I mean, because they say Roger so many times in this minute, uh, like four times, I guess. is It feels like a lot when you're watching the minute, but it is only four times that they, they use the, uh, I guess, the military, you know, kind of shorthand uh, for the letter R. But. Uh, I looked it up on uh, dictionary.com says that Roger, Roger, that dates back to uh, the U.S. radio communication as early as 1941 and based on uh, then use of Roger as the military phonetic alphabet for R. Um, and then it was uh, brought into kind of the spotlight in, in part due to the public broadcasts of NASA's Apollo missions in the late 60s. So. Did they explain to you why they used? So they were just using it, but like, why does it, I, I get that it used to mean the letter R. Why does it also mean yes? Um, I did look that up and I, I didn't write that part down. <laughs> oh, sorry to put you on the spot. No, no, no. Cause that's it's, part of what I should have. It's not the letter R anymore. I think in now in the NATO phonetic alphabet, R is Romeo. Yes. Mm-hmm. I have been brutally upstaged and cast aside. It's a uh, R stands for received. Oh, okay. So it doesn't necessarily mean I agree with you. It just means I heard you. Yes. Oh, all right. I just love the whole Roger, Roger thing. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. My Shut. friends were joking about that on Facebook. Uh-huh. And they said, you know, gosh, we should make that joke more often. And I said, only if you're Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> but as we've noticed on the our Facebook page, that uh, it's also in Star Wars in the oh, prequels. Yeah. So we should give a good shout out to Star Wars Minute. Who, If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be doing this. For sure. You should check them out. It's pretty good. I've listened to almost every episode, at least of the feature films. That's dedication. Yeah, a lot, especially during the prequels. I don't have anything else in my notes for this minute. Oh, I do. <clears throat> oh, all right. <laughs> At one point, there's a bogey pointing to the right of the screen, but it seems to be moving up into the sky. Immediately after that, you see two F-14 heading right to left on the screen, but there's no real movement, and it looks like they're on pillowy clouds and i just noticed it was like perfect weather you know mm. it's bright sunny no rain it seemed like it was kind of the middle of the day like high noon i thought that was an interesting note yeah it's interesting i mean i i wonder you know we talked last week about the whole tony scott turn your aircraft carrier around piece of trivia i wonder mm-hmm. how hard it was for them to get the lighting on the plane 
that they were looking for. Cause like, yeah, I know. We, so you're talking about it like second 38 is where we get to see those two F-14s flying in formation. Yes. And you know, the lighting is, the lighting is interesting. I, I wonder how much they A, cared about that and B, how much you can actually manipulate things. Cause this is obviously like taken from above. You're not even getting like sunlight at the angle you would normally get for shooting a scene. Cause you know, you don't, you don't typically shoot a, a, a movie scene from above your subject. Yeah. Or mm. yeah, out in the middle of the sky. Yeah. You know? And then we noticed that last week that the bogeys were always seemed to be coming from the left side of the screen mm. and Maverick and Cougar were coming from the right side of the screen. Like they were coming at each other. Right. It's a good way to ramp up tension, maybe subtly. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm we- kind of curious about with all the aerial photography throughout this movie, at least in this section, you know, it needs to all be over the ocean because we've established that this is, you know, their base is, is the aircraft carrier. Later on in the movie, they'll be out in the desert. So those are going to be a lot of, you know, mountain shots and things like that. But mm-hmm. here, I wonder, did they just kind of get what they could, you know, uh, photography wise, you know, we'll get several shots of, of the planes banking and turning and flying in formation. And, you know, then we'll do close ups and, and, you know, side profiles of the the jets and, and just kind of get whatever they could and then piece it together for this or or did they have you know specific shots that they wanted to get because you know? uh, I, I i noticed a lot of inconsistencies with uh i mean with this jet i don't know if you guys have talked about the this the f-14 and how the wings you know open and close and and that is very like sometimes they're closed, sometimes they're open, you know, so they're not always, it seems like they're just kind of using maybe what they can, but I don't so know. So that's a good question. Um, I, all I know about the aerial scenes and how they were constructed is what I learned from watching the featurettes uh, from Top Gun, uh, which you can get on YouTube if you want to. And my sense is that certainly for the dogfight scenes, uh, once we get to Top Gun, um, and I'm assuming for part of this as well, there was a fair amount of pre-prep done. Like they storyboarded, they said, this is the, these are the shots we want. We need you guys to go out and do these maneuvers, uh, it, which is not to say that there wasn't a, a lot of sort of Franken movie going on here where you have to stitch together the usable footage that you have. Right. Um, but I, w- I would be surprised if, if the directors didn't at least say, you know, like take that shot at second, 11, which is great with the two F-14s coming in and then banking left. Like, I'm sure that didn't happen by accident. I'm sure they said, hey, we need this shot. Um, This is what we want you guys to do. You agree with that, Brian? Kind of, but not really. Kind of. All right. Oh, but (laughs) not really. All right. Well. Yeah, because Mira, we were talking last week that, well, when they, Travis, when they filmed this, they filmed the ground movie first. Okay. The whole school, the love story. Sure. They filmed that all first. And then they went to the aerial shots and then they worked on the using the models of the planes. Okay. And the reason why was because they had the story, but they had to get approval from the Navy right. to do all these aerial shots. And it was a very big coordination with the Navy and Paramount to get these shots. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I think once they got to the point where the Navy was on board, I mean, I just remember watching these scenes where they, you know, they like literally, they would come in every day, 
the I forget the person's name, but there was sort of one person who was essentially the boss of all of the stunt pilots. And he would come in in the morning and, you know, give them a basically a mission briefing and saying, hey, this is what we're going to do today, guys. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm guessing that the kind of the do-si-do with the Navy must have all happened before they kind of laid out the plan for yeah. picking up all those shots. The one guy was Pete Pettigrew. Thank you. That's what I was thinking of. Who is the original Viper. And I have the other guy name. Uh, Lieutenant Commander Lloyd Bozo Abel was basically the two... Uh, Top Gun instructors who kind of coordinated the aerial shots. Tony Scott would come in, have an idea, you know, would storyboard it up in some weird. If you've seen any of these storyboards, they look like little bitty, like three-year-old cartoon sketches. Viper and Bozo would, well, we can't do that. Or, hmm. and then Tony Scott would say, well, what can you do? And then they would have a simulate all the things with models, and they'd write it all up and with the, all the pilot Rio crews and then they would go out and do it. Yeah. But I, I think you're, I think that's a good pickup by you, Travis. Certainly it, I certainly with like things like the angle of the swept wing can tell that these are not all necessarily part of the same shot. Right. Cause I assume that you don't change the, the sweep of the wing that frequently. Like I, I feel like I understand that when you want to go fast, you, you put, Put them back and yes. and when you want to i guess slow down or or just be at cruising speed yeah. you yeah. have them open yeah when you hit afterburners that's when the wings sweep in yeah uh goose is asking at merlin to see if he's a single they say goose do you see a trailer and goose replies negative merlin well he looks like a single i like that that merlin confers with his fellow his colleague you know this is kind of they're uh not afraid to you know, Merlin's not overconfident saying, nope, there's only one. You know, he, he at least is like, well, I'll see if uh, if Goose has anything different, I guess. And then Maverick, the hothead he is, wants to go head-to-head with him, as we said. Cougar sure don't like it. <laughs> I wonder why. Poor Cougar. And that's all I have. Me too. Yep, I'm good. Wing sauce. Let our listeners know where they can find you or what you got going on. Sure. Um, so yeah, I did one of these crazy movie by minutes podcasts uh, a couple of years ago now. Uh, myself and Eric Nash, we did the director's cut of Zack Snyder's Watchmen. So all 186 minutes of that are available out there somewhere in the world. So just uh, search Watchmen minute, and you'll find it. And then I do uh, well. I'll plug the other shows maybe later in the week. Okay. And we also want to thank you because Mr. Travis Bow here did our logo art for us appreciate yeah, that very I mean, much hey it was it was no big no big uh, deal you you provided me with exactly what i just turned into uh you know line art so you really designed it i just uh you know cleaned it up a little bit can i add something to that really quick did you all notice so just to kind of uh to date this uh, we are recording this in uh january early january of 2022 um, did you notice, did either of you notice uh, Bill Belichick at uh, last weekend's press conference wearing his Top Gun sweatshirt? Huh. Uh, I didn't know. Yeah. Oh, okay. So uh, if you're a big football fan like me, I don't know if either of you watch professional. Well, I watched, but, well, I did watch, but I haven't, I think I watched one game this season. I'm going to post this in the uh, Top Gun listeners. Remind me, what are we called? Top Gun listeners school. school. Listener school. That's right. Yeah. I will post an image here. 
for reasons passing understanding that I understand that I don't get Bill Belichick, the head coach of the new England Patriots, not exactly a wild and crazy guy um, decided he wanted to come to the podium this past Sunday, wearing a hooded sweatshirt that just says danger zone on the front of it in the top gun <laughs> font. Nice. And I'm only thinking of that because of you, Travis, because you did such an excellent job on our podcast art in the same exact font uh, for yeah. Top Gun Minute. So that's that's my way of saying things. Oh, well, happy to do it. Ghost Rider, this is Kaboon requesting you to like and subscribe and share with your friends. If you could, please rate and review me on your favorite podcasting apps. You can continue the discussion on Facebook at Top Gun Minute Listener School. Find us on Twitter at Top Gun Minute Pod. Send your emails to me at topgunminutepod at gmail.com. You can find us and all your other favorite movies done in this format at moviesbyminutes.com. Thank you again for listening, and until next time, this episode pattern is full.